The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We're off to far north Queensland today, where we're catching up with the wonderfully named Metallica Minerals, which is advancing a high-purity silica sand project right next door to the Mitsubishi's Cape Flattery project, which has been going for 30 years and is the world's biggest producer of high-purity silica sand. And uh, Metallica's project, also called Cape Flattery, is right next door, sharing the, the same dune fields that Mitsubishi's been mining for 30 years. And to tell us the story, and particularly, I guess, the boom conditions that seem to be gathering momentum in the silica sand business, we have Metallica's executive chairman, Theo Saros, with us today to uh, give us a feel for what to look out for as uh, the rest of the year unfolds. A lot of news flow out of this one. And I'll just mention before I enter, uh, get Theo to join us that the Stock is uh, trading at 3.3 cents for a market cap of 22 million, and it trades under the code MLM. So with that, g'day Theo, thanks for your time today. Hi Barry, it's a pleasure to be here. Right. Now Theo, an interesting one here, uh, and a lot of news flow recently, and so, some more in the pipeline, but I think it might be great to start out with, uh, for the average man and woman, uh, just what is high purity silica sand, and what is the outlook for the material? Well, the beauty of our project is that the, the silica sand we extract um, out of each of the dunes is is requires minimal processing and ultimately it ends up on a ship and then the end users throughout Asia and also throughout the world then process this silica sand predominantly for glass manufacturing. There are also ceramic manufacturers. But the boom in silica sand, Barry, is being generated by the solar panel industry. That is probably the biggest market that is demanding the highest purity silica sand. And Cape Flattery is renowned around the world for having the highest purity uh, silica sand available. Right. I guess um, we haven't heard much about it because it's uh, the existing operation here, the world's biggest, uh, is with Mitsubishi, of course, which uh, is not uh, based in Australia. So you guys... How long have you been working on this opportunity and what point, what stage are you at? Towards the end of 2020, we really didn't know what we had. There was a, quite a bit of movement in the market with a few Western Australian companies and a couple of others in Queensland. And between that time and now, we've drilled. We've been approached by many companies throughout Asia and Europe wanting to know when we're going to be in production. And so a lot of information started to come through. Um, about the boom in the demand for silica sand. And I guess there's no greater recognition. The Queensland government started by referring to it as a new economy mineral. And we're pleased mm-hmm. about a, three weeks ago, the federal government added it t- to its critical minerals list. You know, mm-hmm. the world is on a mission to reduce, uh, sorry, on a, on a mission to reduce emissions, if I could put it that way. Um, and silica sand is going to play a role. The demand for solar panels is going to deliver what so many people around the world want, and that's a reduction in emissions. 
Mm. And uh, the quality of uh, your material is uh, right up there, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, our neighbour has been extracting and ex- exporting. In fact, the previous owners of that project, I think it's nearly 52 years that that project has been exporting. So the silica sand we extract straight out of the ground has very high uh, silica levels. The aluminium and titanium levels are very good. The iron levels are, are, are fine, but we do need mm-hmm. to process them and bring the iron levels down quite a bit because of the specifications that potential buyers want. But again, I can only reiterate, you mentioned Cape Flattery and it's so well regarded around the world. And just for those who might have some concerns, that you're not mining beaches here. This, we're talking about inland dunes, yeah? Absolutely. And, and again, again, the benefit, there's so many benefits of having the world's largest company next door is that the operations are well understood, the rehabilitation methods are well understood, um, the local indigenous uh, communities understand the mining precinct that we're in. So, no, we're not on the beach. Uh, we are well inland. And, in fact, those who do stand on the coastline are going to see very little of this uh, project. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now the um, some hard numbers were uh, placed on the project in a PFS released on uh, March 21, well worth a read. It pointed to a uh, low CapEx project of about $79 million, um, average uh, production cost of around $34 a tonne, average uh, selling price was plugged in at $64 a tonne, giving an average annual EBITDA of around $38.1 million. So the thing that jumps out at me there, uh, Theo, is that uh, annual EBITDA of 38.1 versus your current market cap of 22 mil. So what do you see as the re-rating signposts for the company to better reflect the earnings potential of this project? Yeah, great question, Barry. Um, between now and then, uh, a lot to be achieved. I mean, the, the, the focus for this year, and look, you've rightfully pointed out the pre-feasibility study gives us compelling uh, economic reasons to keep investing shareholders' money in this project. We've got significant um, momentum on the project. We are firmly engaged with the key Aboriginal clans to get agreements in place for their approval for our project to proceed. We'll be lodging environmental applications probably early quarter three this year. Uh, our, our jetty will have a separate development application. Again, that lodgement of that application is about Q3 this year. We'll be applying for a water allocation later in the year. Um, So there's significant momentum. Depending on the type of environmental approval we get, we may be exporting towards the end of 2024. And that sounds like a long time away. But as your listeners will understand in the mining space, that's not far away. So between now and then a lot of work to be done, but you know, you've highlighted a major frustration of mine is in getting recognition of what we've got ahead of ourselves, but that will come. Yeah, okay. Just focusing on the pricing environment, and I mentioned there the margin you would have over the uh, operating costs at uh, $64 a tonne, which I presume was a long-term price that was plugged in. The Is it a commodity that has much volatility to it, or is it essentially you know gdp plus sort of performance it's a very opaque commodity it is very Mm. difficult to get pricing information we used a marketing group based in hong kong who have 
team members in China and Malaysia who studied the market as it is now, and they supported a forecast price of that $63, $64 Australian in 2024. It's very difficult to get a handle on pricing. I will point out that when we publish that price, other companies have suggested the selling price could be as high as $81 Australian. Yeah. And naturally, oh, yeah. we, we hope their intelligence is spot on. But mm. the reality is um, it's been difficult to get firm details, but we're very comfortable in, in sharing that with that price with the market. Yeah, okay. And we are talking about a, a long-lived project. I think 25 years was outlined in the PFS with a CapEx payback of uh, 3.9 years. $79 million CapEx. Um, how do you see yourselves going around uh, about financing that? Oh, yeah, great question. Uh, combination of um, potentially a number of opportunities. We expect uh, that there will be debt financing. Uh, we're very keen to talk to the Northern Australia Infrastructure Fund to understand their processes, particularly their process of evaluation. Um, the What we need to achieve in the next 12 months is understanding who are genuine off-take partners, mm-hmm. uh, who can participate in the project, could they make a prepayment? All these sorts of opportunities need to be um, investigated. And, of course, then there is the equity markets as well. So that, that, that $80 million, circa $80 million capex for the project, there'll be working capital on top. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a decent amount of capital that we need to put this into production. But again, the demand forecast we're seeing for the commodity gives us confidence that we'll be able to achieve that by either one, two, or a combination of all those alternatives. Mm. And the market is uh, demand uh, growth we're seeing. Um, I think there's forecasts there of uh, taking off from that an extra 40 million tonnes of extra uh, product will be needed um, in this by, you know, uh, by the end of the decade sort of scenario. I'm just wondering... Are there multiple buyers of the product or are you reliant on China or any particular region or is it across APEC we're talking? Multiple buyers and multiple destinations, Barry. Um, Yes, China is the largest manufacturer of solar panels, so naturally they will be there. We've had interest out of India. Uh, Korea, Taiwan and Japan are other buyers. And as much as I'm stressing the importance and the growth of the solar panel industry, um, it was interesting, car manufacturers are demanding high-quality glass. And the more we think about the number of cars being manufactured with you know, the equivalent of an iPad sitting in the dash, they want yeah. high-quality glass as well. So to achieve that high-quality glass, you need yeah. a high-quality silica sand. So yeah. it, it's also another industry that, we're, that, that has shown interest. Yeah, I think uh, one of my old cars had a screen in it about the size of an iPhone and the latest car's got one of a small TV. So, yeah, lots more buyer. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So a key focus, I guess, going forward will be uh, negotiations, discussions with potential off-takers. For sure. You know, again, depending on the type of environmental approval that the Queensland Government requires of us, for the next 12 months we need to nail down Offtake um, interest. It's uh, we're getting nibbles. We're getting people, you know, interest from particularly Asia and, as I said, even India. But we've just got to we've got to convert that over the next twelve months. Mm. 
Now, I know the declaration of the project of being uh, one of importance and significance um, does not go to the environmental approvals process but uh, or the environmental application that uh, you plan to lodge, but it must be seen as uh, encouraging. That on the one hand, it's considered a you know, project of national significance and um, uh, it's in a, an area that's been mined for 30 years, so we're not expecting any uh, real hiccups on the environmental side of things? Certainly not expecting any. To get that designation by a key Queensland government department as a project of regional significance was it was a milestone. Yes, it allows us to apply for a water allocation, but to get that designation, we, we really had to spell out to the government the economic benefits of the project. Most importantly, the economic benefits to the region and even more importantly, to the townships nearby, Hopevale and Cooktown, and importantly, the indigenous communities in that area. And so the government took on board what our strategy is, what we want to deliver, what we want to achieve for those communities, and we got the result we wanted. So we're very happy with that designation. Okay. Uh, how are you off the funding? I understand you had a, a placement not long ago, $3 million placement. So... so funds uh, well in hand to uh, make this push towards a development decision? Yeah, we're just uh, just under $7 million cash on hand. We were delighted to welcome the Deutsche Balaton Group to the register, who's sitting just under 10% of the register uh, a couple of months ago. Our largest shareholder contributed to maintain their position, Ilwella, and our third largest shareholder also contributed. So um, significant confidence in what we've got. And, um, you know, I guess the, the, one of the key aspects of the project, if you forgive me, Barry, is the location of where we are. Yes, we're next door to the world's largest, but we have the ability to build our own jetty. Mm -hmm. And w our project is located inside or adjacent to the port of Cape Flattery. And hence, we will build a jetty for our own project inside a port limit. Now, why is that important? There is very strict legislation in Queensland about building marine infrastructure outside port limits. It's called the Sustainable Ports Act. Mm. Now, that does not apply to our project. So, yes, we've still got approvals to go through, approvals with the federal government and the Queensland government for the jetty, but the beauty of that location is that we are inside the port limit of Cape Flattery. All right. And just extending that uh, a bit further, so you're not reliant at all on the... Uh the existing Cape Flattery uh, project for sharing of in infrastructure or anything like that? No, we, we wish there was capacity. There is simply no capacity on that jetty that mm -hmm. um, the government owns, that Mitsubishi lease. It, it's, you know, that the house full sign is up there, hence the mm -hmm. need to build our own infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a look at the PFS and I noticed that uh, the jetty that you're proposing um, You've been able to rein in its uh, length quite considerably, hence uh, delivering cost savings. How, uh, how are you able to do that? Well, when we started out last year, um, can you imagine a fully loaded barge, because we will be barging the silica sand out to a, a ship about five kilometres inside the port limit. So imagine a fully loaded barge needing uh, a certain depth of water to be able to clear the bottom. We envisage mm -hmm. that it may have been a 500-metre jetty, but the studies that we've done, we're pleased to say um, by going, you know, using traditional barges, we only need to have a jetty of a length of 350 metres. 
So it saved us, you know, quite a bit of capital in that regard. Yeah, I imagine it did. Uh, and no need for dredging? Oh, n- none whatsoever. Um, a key key question we get asked by government agencies, no dredging whatsoever. Mm. So you, you're ticking all the boxes there. So I was wondering if, uh, when, as we're starting to wrap up here, if you can give uh, investors a, a feel for some key milestones that you're, you're fast approaching um, and uh, what they should be looking out for as the year unfolds. Yeah, look, pl- plenty of milestones to come. Um, the discussions and the continuing negotiations with the traditional landowners is probably the first one. We'll soon mm-hmm. be lodging environmental application, development application. We plan for those to be in place by year end, depending again, depending on the, the, the level of environmental studies that we need to undertake uh, that the government stipulates. Um, you know, I would hope that the, all those companies that are showing interest in offtake would at the very least be interested in MOUs, um, but we would mm-hmm. hope to convert them into uh, bankable offtake agreements early next year. So plenty of news flow to come. There'll be updates on the metallurgy studies. So we're, we're ticking the boxes as we you know, progress towards construction, hopefully in 2023. And as I said it before, it's our intention to be exporting towards the end of 2024. Right. Okay. Which is uh, yeah, when you compare it with uh, you know, all the excitement around some of these uh, battery minerals projects, nickels and lithiums, and where you've got five to seven year sort of production horizons, yours um, is uh, potentially quite short. It's a very simple operation. Um, mm. We don't actually call it a mine. Um, mm. You know, we're just the dozers come in, extract the sand, um, and then it goes into processing plant on a conveyor belt onto a barge, onto a ship. And I know I've probably oversimplified it in some respect, but, you know, we don't leave a pit. We will be rehabilitating on average from the fourth year of production. And as I said before, the locals know this to be, a, a you know, a silica sand precinct. So we're not yeah. doing anything that hasn't been achieved before. Okay. And finally, one I couldn't resist but ask, is it true that um, everyone who works for Metallica has to be a heavy metal fan? No? Uh, it's standard in the um, employment practices, except uh, my son hates it when I put their music on the stereo when I drive him to school. Is that right? And, that, and that's a serious story. <laughs> Why does he hate it? Oh, well, you know, age difference. He prefers this oh, you know, uh, okay, rap, right. rap, yeah. rap rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I understood. I understood. Okay, Theo, interesting story. Um Particularly interesting given that short-term uh, potential to get into production, start uh, generating, capturing those margins, and who knows what those margins will be by the time production starts. Because one thing we all know, and you touched on decarbonisation of the world, equals kilometres and kilometres and kilometres of solar panels. So a strong outlook uh, across Asia. Sooner you get into production, the better, I guess. So good luck with it all, and thanks for your time today. Thanks, Barry. It's an exciting project and I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat.